Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34 is the passage I'm going to be reading. If you'd like to stand, you can. And uh, we'll read the Word of God, we'll pray, and then we'll get started. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. And so they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave, (laughs) leave the region. Father, we thank you for uh, this passage of Scripture uh, that shows us so clearly your authority and your power over even the demonic forces. Father, we thank you that you reign supreme, that you are the ruler of the world, of the universe, that your kingdom is coming. Father, we thank you for Jesus who has purchased our salvation out of death and into life. Father, we ask that you would strengthen us to understand Uh, to see your glory, to see your power, to trust you. Father, we pray for our small groups tonight. God, that you would bring much encouragement, much spiritual friendship, much Christ-centered relationships. God, that you'd bring accountability and challenge and a spurring up upon one another to love and good deeds. Father, do that in us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so uh, just uh, let's get a run at this. One of the cool things about like moving through Matthew this way is that the passages really do connect, and so I, I want to show you a cool connection. Uh, it, may, it very well may be that I'm the only one that thinks this is cool in all three services. It seems to have gone a little flat, um, but I still think it's cool, and so you're letting me preach, so I'm going to say it. All right, so here we go. All right, so let's, let's get a run at it. So what, what ha- what's been happening? All right, so there, there's an evening where a whole bunch of possessed people, a whole bunch of sick people come to Jesus, and what it, remember what it said? Heal them all, <laughs> like all of them, right? Like amazing, glorious, hardly ever happens. He, he healed them all, right? And then it says crowds begin to press in. You can imagine why, right? Like he's healing everybody, and so crowds are pressing in. And as the crowds press in, Jesus says, all right, guys, let's go to the other side. Get in the boats. Let's go to the other side. And then then a whole bunch of of would-be followers come up to him. And remember Matthew uh, list two, Mark list three, I think Luke list three. And they come up, they're like, Jesus, we'll come too. We'll follow you. We'll, we'll, We'll go. Remember what Jesus does? He says, guys, you better count the cost. You better count the cost. Remember, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man's got nowhere to lay his head. In other words, hey, I I want you to come, but you understand there's a cost to following me, right? And then he tells them to get in the boat. And the 12, at least, we know, get in the boat, and they take off for the other side where Jesus told them to go, right? And, and, And then as they go, 
they run into the worst storm of their life, right? I mean, this is the worst situation they've ever been in. They are all convinced they're going to die, right? So, so, I mean, Jesus wasn't kidding when he said count the cost, right? Like he tells them, you know, get in the boat, let's go, we're going to the other side. And, and immediately they, they come into the worst storm they've ever been in. And, and you remember what happens, right? They, they panic, they assume they're going to perish, and they accuse Jesus of not caring. Remember, he's asleep. And Jesus, after he wakes up, he diagnoses their condition as a, as a common malady called little faith, right? Uh, he says, man, you, your faith is too small, and that's why you're, you're afraid like this. you got the wrong kind of fear. And then Jesus speaks into the hurricane, right? He speaks into the hurricane, Phew, silence, still waters, quiet, immediately. Now, all of a sudden, the same 12 guys that were scared of the storm, they have a different kind of fear. They've got a good kind of fear right now. They've got this awe and reverence of Jesus. What sort of man is this, okay? Now, let's make our way into this next passage. So they continue from there to the other side. That's where they were going. Now, here's a cool question. Why were they going to the other side? Like, what what was over there? Like, why did Jesus say, get in the boat, let's go to the other side? Well, we find out it's the country of the Gadarenes. And we don't know much about these folks, but we do know they're they're pagans. They're they're not Jews. How do we know they're not Jews? Well, there's a herd of 2,000 what on the hillside? Pigs? How many Jewish pig farmers do you know? Not very many, right? Like, I mean, that's an unclean animal. They don't have anything to do with pigs, right? And so we know this is a, this is a, a pagan, a Gentile land, right? So they, they go across the sea to a Gentile pagan area. How long are they there? I wish I could answer this for you. It's really interesting. I read Mar- Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I can't find anywhere that gives any time duration, but it wasn't long. Okay, it wasn't long because we know that as they as they arrive on the shore, it says two demon possessed men met them. Right. So they like they come out, they come from the tombs and they come out to Jesus at the shore. Right. So they they meet Jesus. Uh, There's this short, very brief conversation between Jesus and the demons. Right. Jesus casts out the demons into the pigs. The pigs run over the side of the cliff, drown in the water. The herdsmen panic. They run to everybody. Everybody rushes out from the village. And then they take Jesus passport, make him leave. Right. I mean, they, they ask him to leave the country. They're like, please, go. Don't come back here. Now, if I were one of the disciples, this is just super encouraging to me. <laughs> if I were one of the disciples, I'd be thinking, what in the world did we just endure a hurricane for, right? Like, like really? Like, Jesus, you, you brought us through the storm of our life. We all completely panicked, thinking we were going to die. For what? To talk to a couple crazy people, see some pigs die, and then get kicked out of the country? Like, like we're not even there a day. They don't even make it into the village. Is it worth it? All right. I'm going to answer that question, is it worth it? at the end of the sermon, okay? You're gonna see it, all right? This is one of those tactics to keep you staying awake, all right? There's something at the end we're gonna answer, okay? But, but I'll, just, I'll just give you a brief answer, and, and it's this, that God's economy of worth it is not always our economy of worth it, okay? In other words, we don't always see what God sees. I wanna encourage you with that because I, I believe there's some of you that will enter into ministry of some sort. I, I think there's probably some folks that started our children's ministry on Wednesday night this week. You know, we, we, we kicked that off the last couple weeks, and th- this last week was our first kind of in the class time and and I bet there were some of you that came with these high aspirations of children that are you know bow ties and little dresses and teach me about Jesus and what you found was something similar to what these guys experienced right like 
these are crazy kids, you know, what in the world, they're possessed, you know, and, and you tried your best, and you left there with boogers on your jeans, and, you know, some kid made dolphin clicking sounds the whole time you're trying to teach, and you kind of let there wonder, man, you know, I just went through the storm of my life, was it worth it? I want to encourage you that God had an absolute plan for these guys going through a hurricane to spend half an hour, hour on a beach, and turn around and come back. But what happened in that was completely worth it. We'll get to that at the end, okay? But before we get to that, I, I, I want you to be, I want us all to be on the same page about the demonic, okay? We hardly ever talk about this. I, I got to thinking as, we, as I was studying for this, I thought, you know what? We, 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 you know, we always, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus cast out demons and healed it, but we really didn't go into what are, what are demons and, and what is the supernatural? And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a little bit of time here and just lay some kind of foundation stones for what, what, what does the Bible say about the supernatural? Okay, so number one, number one, the devil, demons, and the supernatural realm are real, okay? Okay, so, so here's our, our first foundation stone. The devil, demons, and the supernatural realm are real. Now, I have to say that because there's some people that say they aren't. There's some people that, that, that believe that not all that stuff in the Bible about demons and demon possession and all that, it, there's another explanation for it all. But let me, let me just tell you a basic rule I try to follow. If Jesus believed in something, I'm kind of in too, right? Like, like I think the, the king of the universe, the ruler of the world, the king of kings, if he believed in it, uh, then I think I ought to as well. And Jesus absolutely did. Much of his ministry was confronting and opposing this demonic reality in his day that I believe still exists in our day. In fact, in Matthew chapter four, he even is tempted, right? I mean, the temptation there, Jesus himself is tempted by the devil in three different ways, right? So Jesus absolutely believed in demons. And, and if you're one of those people that say, well, yeah, but we've progressed so far in our society that we understand a bunch of stuff that Jesus didn't understand. Really? I, I just don't think that that's true. Um, and you're like, well, maybe not Jesus, but, but everybody else. You know, and a lot of people have tried to, to say that, you know, they just didn't understand mental illness. They just didn't understand diseases like epilepsy or or seizures or brain tumors or, you know, things like that that might manifest itself in strange ways. And so they, all, they called it all demon possession. False, okay? Let me show you why. Matthew 4, 24 says this. It says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains. I love that, and pains. Do you have that? Like, the doctor doesn't know what it is. It's just a pain, you know? It's like, I got this pain. He's like, I don't know. It's a pain, right? Uh, pains, okay? Those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. All right, now, what, what does that say? That, that He makes very clear distinctions between a whole bunch of different various ailments, all right, and he separates them from those who are oppressed by demons, all right? So Jesus is not confused. Jesus was actually confronting the demonic realm. Number two, the devil and his demonic host hate God and they oppose his kingdom, okay? So, so they're real, and what is, what is their mode of operation? What, what is their goal? Well, they hate God, all right? So that's very clear that they oppose and hate God but as you're going to see, they can't actually go to battle against God. I mean, they, they just, did you see what happened with Jesus? Like, he just tells them go when they've got to go. Like, he has complete authority over them, okay? But what they can do is they can harm those who are made in the image of God. So here's the deal about people that our world often does not understand. All people, doesn't matter if they're Christian, Hindu, Muslim, uh, Buddhist, whatever. doesn't matter if they're black, yellow, brown, red, white, white, whatever color. They are all created in the image of God. I was very clear about that. They're creating the image of God. We are image bearers of God. And so as image bearers of God, Satan hates that. 
He hates us, okay? And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what John 10, 10 says. I, I, I was debating about whether to preach this um, this weekend, uh, this week as I was studying, because I thought maybe I'd just move on because I've, I've preached this passage out of Mark before. And uh, someone came into my office, and, and we were talking. We were talking about the gospel. I was sharing with them about the resurrection of Jesus. And they had a very interesting question that I, I just forget that maybe some people are asking. And they, they, they said to me, they kind of stopped me as I was talking about the resurrection. They said, well, hold on, I've got a question. I had this thought the other day. I thought, well, what, what if the devil's actually not that bad? And what if hell is not that bad, you know? And, and what if it's just not that bad of a place? And, and as I thought about that, I thought, you know, here's a person who misunderstands severely the spiritual realm. Because the Bible is very clear that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, that's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to do to your children, okay? This is not, this is not kind of a, an edgy guy. Like a lot of times the, the world presents the devil as, you know, he's kind of the biker dude. You know, no, not, not, I know some really nice bikers, okay? The devil wants to kill you and he wants to destroy you and he wants to keep you from Jesus. He wants to keep you from life. In, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, there's this uh, analogy presented uh, about the devil and about the spiritual realm. And it says in, in Revelation chapter 12, verse, um, I think it's 17. Let me find it here. It says, then the dragon, that's the devil, became furious with the woman, and he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God, and who hold to, test, hold to the testimony of Jesus, and he stood on the sand and on the sea. So, so what's clear that the Bible presents is that the devil is at war with those who love God, with those who keep his commands, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Okay? So number three, okay, so number one, they're real. Number two, they oppose God and his people. Number three, the devil holds the world captive through an organized system of lies and deception. And now one, one of the big mistakes that I think some people make, um, if, if, they, if they haven't kind of read the Bible as a whole, is when they think of the demonic, they think only of these guys, okay? So, so in other words, they think, well, you know, the, there is a demonic realm. It does exist, but man, I've hardly ever seen it. And it's only these dudes that are completely controlled by demons, okay? Only, only like possessed people is what we might call them today, all right? There is an element of that, and we're looking at a passage that describes that today, but far more, far more often the Bible talks about the devil and demons in the sense of controlling the world, permeating the world with this subtle system of lies and deceptions. That is the primary way the devil works. He primarily does not do what we see here in Matthew 8. Okay, that's not the primary mode of operation of the devil and demons. The primary mode of operation is that he controls the world through deceptions, through idolatry, through false religions. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you hear that? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, in their case, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Colossians 1.13 talks about if you're a believer and you've been saved, if you've repented of your sins and put your faith in the blood of Jesus, 
Jesus, then it says you've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. So what, what the Bible describes is that the whole world actually lies in the, in the sway of the devil, of the wicked one. I often tell people this, the devil doesn't have to possess you and control your life. If you'll quietly go to hell, he's good with that, you know? If you'll quietly reject Jesus and just live your life, you know, you know what? If he can convince you that you're a good person and, and you've got good morals, hey, he'll let you ride that thing right into hell. But he, but he wants to keep you from Jesus. So he works in a lot of different ways. Let me give you some examples. In Genesis 3, this is the first encounter we have in the recorded scripture with, with the devil. And what's he doing? Is he possessing Adam and Eve? No, he's not at all. I actually don't believe that a believer can be possessed, okay? Uh, I, don't, I don't believe that. Um, but in Genesis 3, what we see is the devil working the way that I think he works most, most often is through deceitful desires. That's what Ephesians 4 calls them, through lies, Adam and Eve are there in paradise. They've got a perfect relationship with God. They've got everything they need. And what does the devil say? He says, man, you mean you don't have this thing? You mean, oh, man, you're missing out. I mean, I can't believe God has withheld that from you. I can't believe that God won't let you have that. I can't believe that God is holding back what's good for you. And Adam and Eve fall, and with it, sin, death, and the grave enter all of humanity for thousands of years, simply through a deception. I think of this verse very often when I'm traveling in India. Not that India has, has more idols than America, but I will say this, India has, it probably does actually, it, it has more visible ones, okay, visible, okay? So in America, a lot of times our idols are, are more um, subtle, okay? But, but everybody's living for something. Everybody's worshiping something. Everybody, everybody everywhere is worshiping something. In, in India, though, it's very apparent because you have these idolatrous tem temples everywhere. I mean, like literally everywhere. There's 33 million gods, or billion, is it billion? Million or billion, I don't remember which it is. I think it's billion in, 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 in Hinduism, right? No, it's a million. 33 million gods in Hinduism. All right, so you got temples everywhere, right? And here's what 1 Corinthians 10.20 says about that, okay? It's very interesting. Uh, Paul says, no, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to, you see that? To demons, and not to God. And, and so, so any false religion where you have this, this false God that is propped up and this web of false doctrine that surrounds the false God and, and enslaves people to believe wrong things, to live for the wrong thing, and then to offer sacrifice of time, money, and energy to the wrong thing, the Bible says they're actually offering that to demons. In other words, behind the statue, behind the rock, behind the tree, behind whatever it is they're worshiping is is, is a demon. Like, like there's a demonic deception fueling that false religion. So, so the devil works through lies. He works through false religion. And then 1 John chapter 3 is a very good case that the devil works simply through the enslavement of sin. Okay? So a lot of people are, are held captive by the devil simply because they live in habitual sin. They live in unrepentant sin. All right? So 1, 1 John chapter 3 Verse uh, 8 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. See, like, like a lot of times we read that and we're like, well, man, they don't have horns and pitchfork and offering rabbits to sacrifice. And no, 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 he doesn't mean that. He means they are enslaved in their sin. He means they, they have this sin in their life they won't let go of. They, they, they will not surrender to Jesus, okay? 
It says, they're of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, so John describes this, this enslavement by the devil just, just in this habitual lifetime of sin. Here's what's clear. The devil hates people. He wants to enslave them in death. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to have us life. And so the devil, will, he will keep you from Jesus. All right? So the, the main primary goal of, of the demonic host is to keep you from Jesus, to keep your focus off Jesus, to keep you distracted from Jesus, to keep your mind off of Jesus, to keep your heart from loving Jesus, to keep your faith from believing in Jesus. And if he can do that, he will steal every good thing from you. Man, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd be so interested in talking to, uh, let's say, someone who's, let's say, an atheist, evolutionist, just, I don't believe in any God at all. That, that kind of a person. There's all kinds of versions of that. But, but, but someone who just absolutely didn't believe in any God, um, did not believe in any supernatural spiritual realm, just believed that we're here by a big accident and you know, just an evolutionary process that happened to come about through, through just sheer, sheer accident. Okay? I would love to talk to that person about the Holocaust. What is your explanation for the Holocaust? You see, there's really only two realm, two ways you could go there. Um, you could just go the, the really hardcore uh, evolutionary route and say it's the survival of the fittest. Like, like Hitler was just living out what, you know, lions do in the jungle. You know, it's just that if you're, if you're bigger and better and stronger and meaner, then you, you win and everybody else loses and you die and they live, you know. Maybe that's what they would say. Uh, most of them won't say that. But I don't know what other explanation you have for the Holocaust. What explanation you have for the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia killing fields? Two million people. What explanation do you, do you have for that? Let me tell you my explanation. It's demonic. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, the Bible's been saying that forever. I don't know if this is an aside, okay? I don't know if you, if you read much about Hitler. I read uh, O'Reilly's book, Killing Patton, recently. Had a section on Hitler. And everything I've ever read about Hitler's personal life talks about those close to him uh, giving testimony to his, his night terrors his inability to sleep, him having to be drugged to sleep, uh, him having to having these screaming fits at night, seeing things, delusions, you know, all these things. And uh, I was talking to my daughter about that. My daughter started reading uh, about Hitler when she was in high school. Actually, she read his Mein Kemp in, in, in uh, high school, and then she went on to get her degree in history. And so I, was, I texted her yesterday, and I said, hey, you and I have had conversations about what we saw in Hitler's life that seemed to be demonic. I said, what, what do you think about that? She texted me back. I thought it was good enough to read to you, all right? So this is just her text back to me. She says, in World War I, he was hospitalized for hysterical blindness. Many people attribute that to shell shock or what we would know today as PTSD. But the noticeable difference for Hitler was that it was during this fit of madness and hysteria that he felt he was destined to establish the Third Reich and take over the world. This event changed the course of his life from pursuing a career as an artist to rising suddenly to political prominence as someone who had no experience, no connections, not even any prior interest. That's what led me to, to the conclusion that there were demonic powers at hand. An emotionally, listen to this, an emotionally and spiritually weak person has an anxiety breakdown of sorts that makes him more powerful. See, that's, that's, the, that's the real kicker on Hitler. Like he has this complete mental, emotional breakdown, 
And he comes out of it a charismatic world leader. He rose steadily to prominence against all odds. He was charismatic, yet had no close friends. He was afraid of intimacy, crippled by anxiety, prone to extreme anger and outbursts. He was not a great man, but he was used to do terrifying things on a great scale. I mean, what's your explanation for Hitler? Mine is, is just, just what my daughter concluded. There were demonic forces at hand. I see that in so many areas of our life. I, I see that in, in children. I tell you, if you're a parent, there is a uh, there is a article you ought to go read uh, today. Okay, it's on Desiring God, uh, Desiring God's website, and I hope I get the title right. If you just go to Desiring God and you go in the search engine there and you type in um, uh, "Parenting is Wrestling with Demons" or something like that, something it was a kind of a catchy title. That's what drew my attention toward it. But it's a fantastic, five-minute read, fantastic article, okay? But, but I, I believe what that article was, was proposing is that, that the devil hates kids. Uh, he, he hates children, and often his, his, his designs are to destroy the young. You know, have you ever thought about the Bible, just looking through the Bible real quickly? In Egypt, what, is, what does the Pharaoh do? The Pharaoh go, has an all-out campaign to destroy the infants of, of the Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew women, right? In, in the New Testament, Herod slaughters the infants of, of Bethlehem and, and that surrounding area. I mean, I visited a place in North Africa where literally the archaeologists stopped digging. They just stopped digging after 20,000 skeletal remains of children in a mass grave all around the exact same age. All surrounding these altars of Baal and Tanit. And we know from the Bible, actually, the Bible mentions the child sacrifice to Baal and Ashtra and Tanit. What's your explanation for that? Is your explanation that, well, every society's a little different and sometimes people get weird ideas? And so there was a bunch of mothers who loved their, their babies and, and they got this idea, hey, you know what ought to be great? We, we, ought to, we ought to superheat our metal statue of Tanit, and we ought to go lay our, our one-year-old on there and watch him burn to death, and that'll be our sacrifice to the gods. I just refuse to believe that people are that stupid. I think there's something sinister behind that. I, I have to believe that 20,000-plus children didn't die in Carthage because their parents were idiots, I think they were, I think there was a complicated deception by a demonic force that enslaved people into horrific acts. I believe that about the Holocaust. I believe that about Khmer Rouge. I believe that about most, most all of the wicked, horrible things in the world. I think it's demonic. I, let's go to our day. I, I, I know, I'm just, I'm just telling you what my opinion here, but I get to do that some, right? School shootings. Why? Like why? Why when someone's gonna kill? Why, why does someone want to kill a whole bunch of people anyway? What 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 puts it in their mind? That's my way out. Let's talk about abortion. Thank you. Jean read my notes. I sent them to her. I said, "Excuse me." Before we even get to that, what about pedophilia? Who in their mind just cannot figure out what is the twisted, I think it's demonic. I, th I think it's demonic. Sex trafficking. But let's talk about abortion. In America, in a place where there are 
lines of people who will adopt those children. I will take them. Three thousand a day. These in just in America, just in America. These are not crazed people out of control, gnashing themselves, living in tombs. These aren't gathering demoniacs. These these are these are kind, gentle women. I, I I don't know if you've met ladies that have had abortions. They're not cruel. They're not bad mothers. Many of them go on to have beautiful relationships with with children they will later have and deeply to their death regret what happened. These These are not cruel women. These are women who fall into a web of lies that is so skillful and so strategic that would-be loving mothers, kind, gentle women, allow their babies to be slaughtered in a sterile hospital environment, and we call it pro-choice, pro-woman. We have parades about it, and we celebrate it. My, My only explanation for that is the demonic. I, I believe what 1 John 5 says, the whole world lies in the sway of the evil one. I believe people are deceived. I believe they're, they're enslaved. I believe they're, 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 their minds are, 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 are caught in this web of deception and he is so skillful at it. 1 Peter 5.8 says, the devil is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and his favorite victims seem to be children. All right. Now, let's get into our text. Let's start the sermon. All right, it's 12 o'clock. It's bad. All right, so real quick. All right, we're going to really go now. All right, ready? Um, Here we go. So Jesus and his disciples, they land on the shore. They're they're met by these two guys. What do we know about these guys? Verse 28 says they're living in the tombs. They're so fierce that no one can approach them. Okay, no one can approach them. Mark 5, verses 3 and 4, if you went there, what you would find is it adds no one could bind them, no one could subdue them. Night and day they cried out continually and cut themselves with stones. That's what Mark 5 tells us about uh, the, these guys. Actually, Mark just mentions one of them. Mark and Luke mention one of the guys. Uh, Matthew mentions two of the guys, all right? But here's what we know, all right? These, these guys are out of control. They're harming themselves. They're destroying their life, and no one's able to help them. My, my friends, do you see that anywhere today? Do you see people who are out of control, who are self-destructing, who keep harming themselves, who keep falling into the same messes again and again and again, and, uh, and nobody can help them? Does that sound familiar? Absolutely. That's, that's, it. that's everywhere in America. Now, are we saying those people are possessed on the level of the gathering demoniac? We're not saying that, okay? What I need you to see is you have this, this gathering demoniac that, that, that is so, so clearly possessed by thousands of demons that they're completely controlled. They don't even speak. The demons speak, okay? But if you follow that line, okay, it's not just that. Actually, once again, the way the devil works most of the time is through a web of lies and deceptions, all right? So you have lots of other people 
that, that are not maybe completely controlled by the devil, but they are influenced. Let, let's, should we look at the church version? <laughs> Let, let's look at the church version, all right? So, so you got the gathering demoniac. Let's take Ananias and Sapphira. Who are Ananias and Sapphira? They're people you would want in your small group. Why? Because Sapphira cooks the best meatball casserole of anybody in the church, right? And Ananias is a friendly, business-minded guy. These are great people, okay? But listen to what the Bible says about them. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought it, uh, only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has, this is a really interesting part, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. If you remember that story, they could have done whatever they wanted. They could have kept all the money. They could have given part of the money. That, that wasn't the issue. The issue was that they lied. To the, they, got, they got up in front of the church and said they did something they didn't do. And what does Peter say about that? He said, why has Satan filled your heart? Now, are they possessed in, in the, at the level of the gathering demonic? No. No, not at all. But they, they are influenced by the deceptions of the devil. Give you another example. A guy named Peter. What? Yeah, the guy that we just that just called out Ananias and Sapphira, right? In Matthew 16, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to the cross. He says, I'm, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. The Son of Man is going to be given over. And this is why I came. This is what Peter says. Verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That's never a good idea to rebuke Jesus. Whenever, whenever you like have that in your mind, like I'm going to tell Jesus, I'm going to straighten him out. It's not a good idea. <laughs> Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, is he saying Peter is possessed? I, I do not believe that at all. He's not saying that. He doesn't have to... Cast demons out of Peter. Peter's not possessed. I don't believe a believer can be possessed. But what is he saying? He's saying, Peter, you are listening to the lies of the devil. So if it's possible for Ananias and Sapphira to be influenced, to some degree controlled, if it's possible for Peter then we should see that this is a big deal. Now, the demon's response to Jesus tells us some really cool things, okay? So look in verse 29. So they meet Jesus on the shore, and here's what they say. Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, you remember a couple weeks ago we looked at faith. We looked at, certainly we did a whole sermon on faith, and, and, and we talked about how there, there's such a thing as non-saving faith. Like, like James says, you believe that in God? Well, big deal. The demons believe that. These guys know who Jesus is. They call him the son of God, all right? But they, they don't trust him. They don't love him. They're opposed to him, but they know who he is. Not only do they know who he is, they know that they will soon be judged. Did, did you hear what they said? What have you to do with the son of God? Oh, son of God, have you come here to torment us before that time? They know that there's gonna be a time where, man, Jesus wraps everything up, throws them in the lake of fire, and it's it. So they, they know they're clearly inferior. They acknowledge their coming judgment, and they know Jesus is about to cast them out. And so they ask to be cast into the pigs. Okay, now, 
what is this whole deal about the pigs? Like, why is that even in the Bible? Yeah, you're probably asking that. I'll tell you, I'm going to hold that back. Your small group leader is going to answer that for you tonight, okay? Uh, and I'll be interested to see what they say. I don't know either, actually. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody actually knows for sure because the Bible doesn't tell us for sure. But let, let me give you some of my ideas, okay? First of all, there does seem to be something in the scriptures about demons wanting to embody. They, they, they don't want to be disembodied. They, they want to control something, okay? There's that. Um, second of all, and I think this is even maybe more likely, they, they wanted to do a couple things. They wanted to hurt that community because that's what they do, right? And they wanted to disgrace Jesus. They wanted to turn the community against Jesus. And so what better way to do that than by the whole prophet of the community, 2000. We, we, that probably wasn't one guy's pigs. That was probably like the whole village's pigs for them to be devastated financially. And so you can, that kind of makes sense why when they come to Jesus, they're like, hey, would you leave? Would you leave? Why? Because they just lost money. So you might ask, well, if that is the reason, then why did Jesus allow that? Well, I, I think there's a bigger purpose here, okay? I think the bigger purpose is you and I need to know what clearly happened to that man. That, that, that man didn't have a brain tumor. That man didn't have some sort of mental illness. That man wasn't schizophrenic. That man... There, there wasn't some chemical problem in his brain. That man was controlled and possessed by demons. And the way to clearly show that was Jesus cast the demons from the man into the pigs. The pigs ran off the cliff. Why? Because demons destroy. And now the man is completely well. I think that visual was incredibly important for that country. Okay? And we'll talk about that in just a second. So, one thing is for certain. Jesus has complete authority over demons. Last week... Jesus has complete authority over the hurricane. He tells the hurricane to be silent, and it's silent. Here, there's at least 2,000. Mark tells us there's 2,000 pigs. So there's at least 2,000 demons. And Jesus says, go, one word, go, and they go. Jesus has complete authority over the demonic world. Now, that gives me a great strategy. It gives us a great strategy for how do we approach, how do we confront the demonic world? Well, here's the key to all of that. We get close to Jesus. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that in, in Ephesians 6, when, when Paul is giving us, how do you wrestle against spiritual principalities and powers and rulers? How do, you, how do you wrestle against the spiritual world? Well, it's by putting on the armor of God, right? Now, what is the armor of God? Well, in uh, Ephesians 6, verse um, 12, he says, put on the armor of God. You may be able to withstand against the evil day. Uh, put on the belt of truth, uh, breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, uh, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, praying always in the spirit. Now, what you'll notice about all of that armor, all of that armor does one thing. It gets you close to Jesus. That's what all of that does, Right? The belt of truth is the truth of Jesus. The, the breastplate of righteousness is his imputed righteousness. When you put your faith in the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus, then his righteousness goes into your account and transforms you, and you begin to live righteously. That's the gospel, right? The gospel of peace is the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus' perfect life, his righteous life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection from the dead, and the offer of salvation to all who will repent and put their faith in him. That is the gospel of peace, the, the shield of faith. That's faith in Jesus. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that's Jesus' Word. Praying in the Spirit, that's praying to God the Father in Jesus' name. The answer for the demonic is stay close to Jesus. My friends, we do not have to be fearful of the demonic world. We just stay close to Jesus. Now, 
If you ask most Christians, man, how, how, how do you deal with a demonically oppressed person? Immediately, what do they do? They go to the video store and rent Poltergeist, right, to, to watch that again, right? And there's a spinning head, and there's a TV, and it did something, and sta- I don't know. I, don't, I, I never watched it, actually. But anyway, I don't like horror movies. Even as a lost guy, I did not like it. I, I don't think really it bothered me. I scare easy or something. I don't know. I never liked them, but I didn't watch it. So whatever happened? No, 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 no. Well, I mean, there's a place for that. I actually do think there's a place for that. But much more common, turn, turn to 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. This is a gem. This is a gem. All right? So, so how, do you, how do you, when people are being deceived by the devil, when they are captive to the devil, when they are caught in his lies, when they're caught in habitual sin, how do you handle that? Man. We have the verse right here. Teresa, I want you to start with verse 40. Uh, there go my eyes. 26. Yeah, 26. The last one. Okay, and then we'll back up, all right? So in, in 26 it says, And they, talking about these people, may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So it's talking about people that have been captured by a trap of the devil. Okay? So they're caught in sin. They're caught in unbelief. They're caught in this deception, and they're destroying their life. You know people like that. Back up to verse 24, please. Thank you, Teresa. How do you handle it? Just like this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. First thing he says, don't be quarrelsome. So conflict with people, okay, getting into unnecessary quarrels is not the way you defeat the spiritual realm. Must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. It's not what you expected, is it? Kind, how, how do you confront spiritually oppressed people? Well, you're not quarrelsome with them. You're kind to everyone. You're able to teach. That's super important. How, how do you help a, a child who is caught in the snare of deception and is ruining their life? Well, you better be able to teach them from the scriptures. You better be able to teach them what Jesus says. Okay? Not quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. In other words, hey, don't expect a quick fix always, right? I mean, I love the fact that Jesus walks up and says, go, bam, done. But I think what we learn here is that there are a lot of times where you're going to have to patiently endure in not being quarrelsome, in being kind, in being teaching, okay? Next phrase. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. So there are deceptions that people are believing that lead to this habitual sin, that lead to this enslavement, and those need to be corrected. And then notice what it says. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Next verse is the verse we started with. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do his will. Isn't that interesting? Like, like I think many times we just think of, of dealing with the demonic, but, you know, we got to have this poltergeist experience and have garlic and vampire juice. You know, I mean, no. No, it's, it's this. It's confronting people relentlessly, prayerfully, patiently with truth. That, that's, what, that's what battles against the lies of the devil. So, Jesus... Commands these demons to come out. They do. They go in the pigs. The pigs are destroyed. 
People are more valuable than pigs, my friends. People are more valuable than money. And we see that in what this guy looks like, okay? So in Mark chapter 5, we find one of these guys, a description of him. I want to read this to you. This is beautiful in verse 15. And they came to Jesus, Mark 5, 15. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion. Okay, notice, sitting there, okay, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. Okay, there's three things there, and they were afraid, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened, but the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons, notice this, begged him that he might be with him. All right, four beautiful things there. The man is clothed. What does that mean? That means he was unclothed before, right? What happened? He's been transformed morally. He's been transformed morally. He's in his right mind. He's been transformed in his thinking. He's sitting with them. Remember what did it say before? No one could even approach him. They lived in the tombs. He's, he's been changed relationally. And then what, what is he begging to do? Be with Jesus. The guy's been changed spiritually. Man, do you have somebody in your life that you think is so far gone that they could never be saved? That is false. Look at this right here. This guy is possessed by thousands of demons. And Jesus transforms him spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, relationally, morally. He changes him. All right, now back to our original question. Was it worth it to go through a hurricane, to get to this other beach, to spend 20 minutes, kill a bunch of pigs, get back in the boat and come back? It was. Here's why. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. And that's something. He says, no, I got a job for you. Verse 19, he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And here's the report of what happened. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. The word Decapolis means 10 cities. He began to proclaim in the 10 cities how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Jesus may have only been there an hour, but he left a missionary. <laughs> and that, that disciple maker, that guy that nobody thought would ever be changed, that was changed, went and proclaimed the name of Jesus in at least ten cities. I was reading this book this week. It's the same book. I, I told you a story about it last week. But it's uh, Warren Wiersbe's 50 People That Every Christian Should Know. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a, he was a preacher. I think he was in London. And uh, he had this revival service. And in come the back door. From the back door came this guy that was notorious. I mean, he was just a crazy guy. Kind of like a scattering demoniac guy. Uh, what, what they said about him, the description in the book was that he was known to have fought rats with his teeth. How do you even do that? <laughs> fought rats with his teeth. He had swallowed knives and glass. And uh, he was a constant brawler. And this guy comes in, and through hearing the gospel, he's gloriously saved. And he goes into his community, and the transformation in that guy brings a revival in their city. And it said that from that day forth, that guy started praying every time he would preach that God would save a Lazarus. He called them Lazaruses. Because remember in John 11, when, when God, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, in John 12, it says many believed after seeing him. He became like a walking billboard of God's grace. And folks, I, I would challenge you, would, would you begin to pray that? Would you pray that in your small group tonight? Would you pray that God would save that kind of person?
He would change them in such a way in our community, right here in our community, some notorious sinner, that God would change them so radically that they would be a walking billboard for the gospel of Jesus. I think that's a great great way to start out our small group semester. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we do see your power and your glory and your ability to change anyone. And Father, we're asking you to do that in our town. God, we're asking you to save somebody, many people, Father, that would, would be so radically transformed, so beautifully transformed, that they would be a testimony to our city, to northwest Oklahoma, to regions beyond. God, we ask you to do that. God, we ask you to use us. God, don't, don't let us doubt that, that, that your power is sufficient to save, to change anybody. Father, help us to address the spiritual realm, the demonic realm, in, in ways that you've clearly shown us with, with gentleness, with kindness, with, with the word of truth, with persistence, able to teach. God, give us grace to do that. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?